0: This program is brought to you by the Gin Society, www.ginsociety.com. Hello, boys and girls. What window should we look through today? The round window? No, the square window. I can see a clock. The big hands on the 12. And the little hands on the 12. What does that mean, boys and girls? It means it's lunchtime. Hello and welcome to Lunch With Lee. I'm your host Shane Lee. Today on the show, Don Spencer, an Australian singer, songwriter and children's presenter best known for the longest serving presenter of Play School in Australia and the UK. He's a guitarist and a musician and the founder of the Australian Children's Music Foundation. He's written and recorded over 500 songs and has an order of Australia. And Wally Masseur, a former professional tennis player, is a former Davis Cup player and captain and now a television presenter. At his peak, he was ranked 15th in the world, winning three singles titles and 16 doubles titles. Let's get started. You
1: you well,
0: we'll get started on the show today, Don Spencer, an Australian singer-songwriter, best known as the longest serving presenter of play school in both the UK and Australia and has an order of Australia. So welcome Don. You're a legend mate.
2: A legend in my own mind. No way. You're
0: <laughs> no, A bit more than that mate. Um, and Wally Massewa, a former tennis professional and he's a good man too. Welcome Wally. Thank you. Good to be here. And how are you boys? Now, now you two actually know each other.
2: Yes absolutely. I, I've watched Wally play many times and Big fan, mate. But Don, we've
1: uh, we've crossed paths at the Starlight Foundation, uh, Kenny Roswell's 80th birthday. That's There's great. been a number of events That's right. uh, in and around tennis, and uh, certainly John
2: Newcomb and Ken Roswell involved where we've crossed paths. Yes, uh, well, Ken's a great friend of mine, of course, and we put on that dinner for uh, for yep. Kenny's 80th birthday. Yeah, That's right. Pretty special. And Don, Don, you
0: actually wrote a song about Kenny Roswell, which, which I think we'll hear later on in the show, but um, we're going to play, but it's about to be inducted into the Tennis Hall of Fame, the song that you wrote about Kenny. Oh, I
2: I, don't know about the Tennis Hall of Fame. It's going to be inducted into the uh, Ken Rosewall Arena. Fantastic. Which is wonderful. Yeah. Look, I wrote it a long time ago because it's a true story because when I was young we didn't have television. Yeah. And uh, we used to listen to the Davis Cup. So I listened to the Davis Cup when uh, Kenny and Lou Ho won it. Yeah. And it was just amazing. They were heroes. And then years later I went to England and went to Wimbledon to watch wow. and Ken was flying. I thought, oh, my God, that's Ken <laughs> Rosewell And then – so the song's a true story when you hear it. And then many, many years later a guy I used to play tennis with invited him out to play one Sunday afternoon and I played with Ken. So it was like, Wow. <laughs> So we've been great friends ever since. And and, Wally, what's happening in
0: the
1: world of tennis at the moment? The US Open's about to start. Uh, Are we going to see tennis in Australia this year? Tell us we are. I believe we will. Yes, you're right. The US Open starts on Monday. The Cincinnati event has been moved to New York, so they're playing that this week at the US Open site. Sort of a big biosecurity protocols are in place, quarantine corridor between courts and hotel. The French Open will happen in late September. So I think... Tennis Australia will get a great opportunity to see what they do well, how it plays out, and then we've got to consider the community, whatever restrictions are in place come January. I think the events will happen over the summer, and I guess TA will just have to work with all the local authorities and be totally mindful of the community's health and safety. But I do believe the tournaments will go on. So the US Open is happening as a broadcast-only event. No fans. Obviously, you know, Broadcast rights are pretty big, pretty lucrative. So federations, like any business, need to run events to survive. Yeah, it's almost an economic necessity. And from your coaching perspective, any young talent to look out for? Uh, Australia, we always seem to produce, uh, you know, good players. It's a totally very international game now, so it's very competitive. But uh, we're still yet to see the best of Alex Diminar, Alexi Poprin, Ash Barty is still very young. We've got some good young players that have, unfortunately, there's been a little bit of a hiccup in their trajectory, given COVID, everybody sort of had to sit on their heels over the last six months. But, yeah, we, we absolutely do have some good young players. I don't like to say too much about them. Sometimes it puts too much pressure on them. And we mm. were just talking off air about well-being. And there's so much yeah. expectation on young players these days. But, look, the state of Australian tennis is very healthy. And, I mean, let's not forget, we've got Ash Barty, world number yeah. one. Mm. Doesn't get any better than that. And how's Nick Curis going? Is he Well, Nick, Nick has made a personal choice, as has ash to kind of sit out the US Open, they didn't feel, everyone's got to make personal decisions yeah, 100%. and it's such an interesting um, conundrum isn't it because it's not just about yourself but if you've got elderly parents or a family member with, with a health issue you've got to be really careful how you behave because you, absolutely. you bring that home, how would you feel? Oh so absolutely. Everyone's got to make a personal decision on what's best for them and their immediate family.
0: Don I want, to, I want to talk a lot about your outstanding career in music but before we do that mate you actually, did you represent Kenya? In hockey?
2: <laughs> I was in the Kenya Olympic team, yeah. But I didn't go to the games because I was actually hitchhiking through Africa in those days. And I uh, ran out of money in Nairobi. And I got a job there. And then while I was there, I was playing rugby and hockey. And uh, Kenya were a very strong hockey team. And uh, so I managed to get into the Kenya team, and uh, which was the Olympic uh, Olympics for Rome. But unfortunately, I was only there on a working visa. So once it came down to the wire of talking who can be in the team, they went, this guy's not even a Kenyan. He's, he's an itinerant hitchhiking <laughs> Australian. So, uh, I did play a test match against the Indian Olympic team. They were the best team in the world at that time. So I, uh, and I had to mark the best, so called best hockey player ever. Babu Singh, and wow. I, uh, <clears throat> I can't say I did too well, but no, I did okay. So but you were there. It, well, I was there. So, but I, no, I didn't actually go to the games.
0: And was it on that trip where you met Roger Whitaker, which sort of started your whole music career?
2: Yeah, it was actually because when I left Australia, it was—I uh, didn't really know what I wanted to do except travel. So. I sort of bummed my way around the world and worked on ships and whatever I could do, as I said. And then when I was in Nairobi, uh, in the rugby d- team that I played for, the uh, Roger Whitaker used to play. And then he said to me one day, look, I'm playing at the local coffee bar on Saturday night. Do you want to come down? So I went down and the guy picks up a 12-string guitar and starts singing covers like Buddy Holly and this. And then he said, here's a couple of songs I wrote. And I went... <laughs> I mean, it's going kind to of be one of those cliché bulb moments, but I went, wow, how cool is that? He wrote these songs, you know. So then I, I it, it wasn't like some, it was an instantaneous thing I wanted to write a song, so I had written some terrible doggerel poems in my travels, rather than writing letters, I used to write poems to my, well, not poems, like doggerel, to my mum or my brother or my sister. So anyhow, I gave him a couple of those, and he put one to, uh, put on a record, and it played it in Kenya, and it was a huge hit. It's like saying I've had a hit in Werris Creek. But it's like, <laughs> but it was uh, it was a start. Then I, I I didn't play any music or anything. I didn't play an instrument. So months later, without boring with the whole thing, I went. to had another year in Africa, and South Africa, and then I worked on a ship from Germany to Indonesia as a helmsman, and I taught myself the guitar there and wrote some songs, I had no idea of music. I just yeah. so then eventually I got I became a songwriter, mm. and then I accidentally became a singer because people would say, "Well, can you sing a song for us so we can know what it's like and right total accident in that you
0: know. doing my research for this podcast, I was, I was watching a lot of of footage of yourself singing you got this amazing real calming effect I't do know it was and was that one of the reasons you you went into children's presenting. I don't know. It was weird. It made kids calm, but it made me feel calm just watching and <laughs> listening to you, which is a real skill. Well,
2: I don't know. I, I it honestly wasn't a conscious thought like that. Yeah. I wanted to do children's music once I got going and children's television because uh, I had a pretty tough childhood, and I, I kind of know uh, how lovely music is as a as a solace, as a comfort, uh, and uh, also, you know, in the long term, you know that music helps develop. Academically and all sorts of other things, but and creativity and imagination. But at the time, I was only thinking about the fact that I, I just always like working. Yeah, with kids. That was was
1: music part of your upbringing, Wally? Uh, always enjoyed listening to it. Yeah. but I was just curious, Don. You know, you kind of fell into music. It. it um, I, I want with sport, you feel like you can practice it and get better, but I feel like myself personally with music, I have no chance. How does it work? I mean, can you actually? You, you say you, you learnt the guitar yourself. Yeah, can anyone learn the guitar themselves? Well, I did. You did? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Awesome. No. I think I must be the uh, <laughs> the odd man out at this table.
2: No, no. Look, don't underestimate yourself. I'm sure if I, you know, sat you down and gave you some guitar lessons in a while, you'd start. So you think the music's chords. in
1: everybody in, to
2: some degree? Yeah, I think the problem when I taught myself was that I didn't know anything about it, so I I only play finger style, I didn't even know about a pick plectrum, and uh, I have. A finger style way of playing, which is very different to most people, and but you can teach yourself. It's a lot easier these days. i have got YouTube and you've got all sorts of things, so it anybody wants to learn, you've got great access now. But don't you'd be surprised how many people. I think I would be surprised. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and well, it
0: was, was was tennis
1: always going to be your thing growing up? Uh, grew up in Canberra, yep. and Canberra in the sixties was. Federal money was being spent in Canberra. So I went to a public school. that had outrageously good sporting facilities, big gym, grass ovals, running track. Um, Tennis courts are very accessible. My dad was Austrian. Uh, He took me skiing at a young age up to the mountains and back every weekend. Wow. Um, You know, played Mm, soccer. Dad discovered golf and he introduced me to golf. So... Yeah, I was, I was active. I really liked sport and I, I was really lucky because I ran into, in Canberra at the time, there was a man coaching by the name of Charlie Hollis and Charlie Hollis had coached Rod Laver and gets a whole chapter in Rod Laver's book. Um, so here I was, eight years old, mum and dad both played tennis socially. They wanted to play, they were sick of me hanging around the back of the court so they started to send me to lessons to Charlie Hollis who happened to be this guru. wow, And an incredibly charismatic, interesting, yeah. throwback to another era character. Um, and I, I think I was just lucky. It was just, you know, I, I like sport. I like the idea of tennis where it's all on you, every every action you're involved in. I kind of enjoyed that. I did enjoy team sports and I, I loved the element of Davis Cup and a team environment, but I did like the, I, I guess I like the artistry and the skill of tennis, but I think I was really lucky just to cross paths with this man, Charlie Hollis, because... Yeah, we, I could talk about him for a long time. I think he should be inducted in the Australian Tennis Hall of Fame. Roy Emerson, he also coached Mark Edmondson, the last Australian Open winner. Yes, I know, Mark. Yes. yes. so, yeah, he, he, yeah I, I think I was just fortunate. So we'll just take a
0: break now and order some food. Um, back here at Leeds Virginia Court. Well, we're going to start the lamb pancake, Stanley. That'd be great. Maybe some scallops and black bean. The Tong chicken and some uh, your special fried rice, mate. And then we'll wash it down with a nice, O'Brien beer. Cheers, Stanley. It's no secret I love a gin, and one of our sponsors here, Lunch With Lee, is the Gin Society, which I happen to be a member of. When you sign up, they'll send you a full-size bottle of amazing craft gin, delivered to your door every two months, plus the latest issue of their beautiful Gin Journal magazine, and a surprise gift absolutely free. Each gin is sourced by a team of experts looking for exclusive, unique, and exquisite drops from around the world. A subscription to the Gin Society is your passport to the world of craft gin. No strings attached. Cancel any time. Check out the website, www.ginsociety.com. All listeners of Lunch With Lee can enjoy an exclusive $20 off their order when they join the Gin Society. Simply visit www.ginsociety.com and just use the code Lee 20 at checkout. Spartan Sports is recognised as one of the world's most exciting and innovative sporting brands with a community focus. Our product range across cricket, rugby, football, volleyball, basketball and fitness has been developed to sell directly to any club, school, corporate or individual. Go to our website and order directly to your front door, www.spartansports.com. Spartan Sports, unearth the warrior in you. John O'Brien is a legend of Australia's beer industry. Proudly 100% Aussie-owned, made in Ballarat, O'Brien Beer is Australia's most awarded gluten-free beer and widely available around Australia through major retailers and online at rebellionbrewing.com.au. O'Brien Beer, the beer that loves your back. Well, you had had a lot of very memorable victories. You beat Becker, five sets. I was really interested in your comments when you, you beat McEnroe. And it was almost, you felt... It was towards the end of his career, I'm assuming, but you, you sort of felt you were happy that you'd won, but you almost felt yeah, it, was a, it, was a, well, it was a really I, funny response I to. I played
1: John. See, there was a couple of John McEnroes. There was the John McEnroe. Do you remember he sort of had a bit of a hiatus away from the game? Yep. And he came back. And I, I played him when he was really good mm. and got towed up. Yep. And I played him when he came back and he wasn't quite the same. Um, and I guess we all have heroes. And John was an artist. Like he was. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In incre- you know, death by a thousand cuts. Yeah. He was so talented. And I played him on centre court at Wimbledon. And, you know, don't get me wrong, you know, I beat him in straight sets. Yeah. I was very competitive. I wanted to beat him. But, you know, you've got, you know, Borg, McEnroe. You know, these, these were guys that I sort of really looked up to. And I guess, you know, feelings. he, he wouldn't care that I felt sorry for him. But, you know, it's, you, you like to see your your heroes uh, at their very best. Um, but John did play me later that year in Tokyo Beat me to a pulp, shook my hand and said, "Payback." Wow! <laughs> so I was like, no, true, "That's good." True <laughs> champion. He still got it in him. Yeah, yeah.
2: Uh, uh, The true competitor. Yeah. yeah. No, no. I followed your career very closely, but really, because I was very keen on sport, too. Mad about sport, and uh, not. I didn't play tennis so much, but I certainly followed it very closely. Um,
1: you know, it was interesting with McEnroe, McEnroe and Connors, because they were of an era, and I played them both. And I just can't tell you the presence they had. It was really interesting. They were so, it's very charismatic on court. They controlled proceedings. They controlled the umpire. They directed traffic. They controlled the tempo, of the play. And even though you were separated by about 90 feet, you, you kind of wanted to shake yeah. them off. They were on you. And, and Jimmy was like a force. He was like a force of nature. And I was really lucky when I was 19, my first uh, Wimbledon, I was losing down six four six four four one in my first round, but if I won, I would get to play Jimmy Connors. So I was like, I've "Got to win this, I've got to win this yeah. match, I have got to play Connors," and I got through it. Well done. Played Connors uh, and Jimmy. After that match, Jimmy, because you know Wimbledon, you get your day off, day on, day off. Jimmy asked me to practice with him for his days off, where you'd go to Queens Club, which is in town. And I played there. Yeah, Yeah, great old venue. But anyway, yeah. I rocked up ten o'clock. So he just beaten me the day before, second round. Rocked up. And Jimmy was skipping, he made a bit of small talk about some common friends we had, you know, John Alexander and various things, and then he just started practicing, and I was like, wow, this is no different than the match. It was like a light bulb moment for me, I was like, hang on a minute, there is only one way to operate, full throttle, and that was Jimmy Connors, and it was a great little learning opportunity for me. He was absolutely fearless, wasn't he? Oh, the he, thing
2: is, it didn't matter if he was down 40, love, whatever. He just went for his shots. He was a street
1: fighter too. Yeah, like he, yeah. you know, I swear if Jimmy had to headbutt you to beat you, he would have. Yeah, like he was like, he was ruthless. It's funny what you say.
0: You, you do see sportsmen and musicians when they have that extra sort of awe about them. I know am lucky enough to meet Mick Jagger. We won the 99 Cricket World Cup and he just oozed charisma. Shane Moore has it in cricket. McEnroe, definitely. Like it, almost comes through the television. It's just it's an extra dimension, isn't it? Don, talk me through um, the Australian Children's Music Foundation, which you founded, which I think is one of the most awesome charities going around. It's giving you buy instruments for kids and free music lessons to really empower them and, um, and get them through tough times. So you Want to talk a little bit about
2: that? Uh, yes, uh, it's now eight. We're in our eighteenth or nineteenth year now. Yeah. Um, yeah. The idea is that yeah. Like I said, we we work mainly with disadvantaged children, and the idea is to bring them joy and, and hope. And uh, but the process of music, we we give free instruments, but permanent lessons, not workshops. They we work in the schools on a permanent basis, and uh, in all, all sorts of areas, indigenous areas, you know, areas where kids have suffered trauma. Bushfire areas, all sorts of things like that. It's a great way to help kids battle through trauma, all the problems they may have at home. And uh, I just, I kind of, it's, a, it's kind of back from my childhood. I just know what it was, a bit what it's like if you feel things are a bit tough. So, but uh, research has shown that music is a phenomenal help for child's development, literacy, and numeracy, the academic achievement, even socially. So. And it's, like I said, it's it's a joy. So uh, uh, we're working as hard as we can to help as many kids as we can. And uh, particularly now, more than ever, the, boy, are we needed. But with the drought, the bushfires, and now COVID, you, the kids the kids are very, very disturbed.
0: Well, I remember growing up, my Mum played the piano at home, so we always had music around the house. It was lovely. And my youngest brother, Grant, a classically trained pianist, um, so we always had music growing up, and it, it's, it's a real comforting thing. So yeah, keep up the good work.
2: Imagine a world without music—terrible,
1: uh, pretty universal, isn't it? Uh, well, you get that same sort of good feels coaching now when you when you, um, you influence a young. Yeah, it's funny because I don't really play tennis for myself, and I haven't done it for a while. Since when we talked about Ken Rosewell earlier, Ken is a tennis player by definition. You know, he. He just seems to thrive on the game, and I live pretty close to Ken. I was in Duffy's Forest. He was in Taramurra, and when I quit, I had a court in my backyard. Ken rang me up, and he said, let's play. Ken was in his 60s, and he he is just a tennis player by definition. Um, I actually don't play much for myself, but I really do enjoy getting on the court and working with younger kids, you know, aspiring to be professionals. Uh, I think my niche is those, um, you know, 17, 18 transitioning from junior to senior that seems to be where I can have the best impact um, but I really do enjoy that uh, and it to me it doesn't really matter how good they are or how good they're going to be it's just their attitude if they've got a great attitude I kind of feed off that and I'm willing to help. Can you, can you pick a single moment back in your tennis career that you thought is a real peak for you? peak i i had a i had a tough introduction to davis cup because when you're a kid growing up you know coached by charlie hollis lots of stories regaled about rod laver and you want to be that you want to win slams and you want to play davis cup yeah. and i got the chance to play davis cup probably by default pat cash was injured uh, paul mcnamee lost a kidney uh, series of injuries to our better players and I was thrown in probably a year or two too early I wasn't quite good enough got manhandled by uh, Mats Wallander on clay in Sweden pretty humiliating and had a really rough start to Davis Cup I was two wins nine losses couldn't believe the captain kept picking me Neil Fraser but he did and I ended up sort of becoming a better player working harder and ended up with a winning record and had some big wins in Davis Cup and I think ultimately it was almost like redemption for me. I'd sort of gone through this this process. Um, some people are just born to play Davis Cup. Leighton Hewitt born to play Davis Cup. Pat Cash born to play it. Pat Rafter had to work at it. And it's a it's a personality thing, you know, because you've got you've got your um, your teammates, you've got your captain on the side of the court, you've got Australia on your back, and it just takes on another dimension. And that's the problem for some of us, and that was a problem for me. Gotcha, I understand that. Um, But for someone like Pat Cash, the big moment, like he just thrived on it, as did Leighton. So probably to answer your question, yeah, it was having some good wins in Davis Cup because it was like a vindication that... Oh, I do belong, I can play, you know, it's I've,
2: I've done something. I think you've been a- awfully modest,
1: isn't
0: it? Yeah, yes, yeah. Well, Neil Fraser left you out of the Davis Cup final, didn't he? And yeah. You were playing on clay, which was your best service. Well, I never let him forget it either. Yeah, no,
2: no, nor should
1: you. No, but he, he <laughs> look, he made the right decision. I actually, a couple of years went through undefeated. We got to the final and he dropped me. We had to play the States, in the States, and we had to play Germany in Germany. And, um, you know, he, he, yeah, he, he made a call. Uh, we do joke about it these days, and... Um, yeah, but there's been no more, I think, well, Harry Hopman, Neil Fraser, two icons of our sport, hasn't been many, too many uh, more successful uh, Davis
2: Cup captains. Seriously, mate, in your career, you were up against some phenomenal, you were at a time when there were some phenomenal players. I actually consider myself lucky because, you know, I started off Borg,
1: McEnroe, Connors, went through the whole Edberg, Cash, Lendl, Becker, and ended yeah. up with Agassi, Sampras, play, wow. and played them all, and... Um, Who's the toughest? Well, it, it comes down to game style. Yeah. So for me, once Andre came on the tour with this incredibly fast hands, oversized racket, lots of racket head speed, just crushing the ball from the baseline, I was like, whoa, I think my time is up. Because He needed to take a, one of his kidneys out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> as an older Australian player serve volley, attack people's backhand, single-handed backhand. You were competitive. All of a sudden, Andre's double-hander is probably better than his forehand. Yeah. And you're like, whoa, where do I go here? Was well, he the best return serve? He and Connors. Yeah. Very different the way they went about it, but just yeah, just found the middle of the racket every time and just gave you the toughest possible return. But, yeah, Agassi was uh, difficult for me. Met was really difficult for me. Um, I had success against players that had single-handed ends because that was my whole game style was to bore in there make a nuisance of myself uh, and just build pressure over time and if good players were really on they got me they were too good for me but I had a knack of playing at a certain level consistently and if the good players are off I was ready to pounce.
0: If you're enjoying this show you might want to check out one of our previous shows with Greg Matthews and Tony Squires for all things sport and a good old-fashioned laugh. One, two, Don a lot of people obviously know you from the from the play school days, but, but you are much more than that. You are, as I said at the start, you're uh, you've written over five hundred songs, but one in particular, you wrote a song Fireball XL Five that oh, went top ten. Sorry, to go top ten in, in the UK. It, in the,
2: it got in, yeah, it got in the uh, the hit parade in the UK. I actually didn't write it. Right, okay. <clears throat> what happened was I, I explained earlier that I was asked to sing songs because I was writing songs, and. I was recording some of my songs. It was at Abbey Road. Wow. It's the Beatles. That's where I met them. But uh, I recorded a couple of my songs to release, and I was asked if I would sing this other song, Fireball, as a demo if it would be accepted as a theme for this television show. So I did them all, and you know, my songs just didn't go anywhere, and this other song... I went to Canada after that for a year and then wrote back and said, did anything happen to my songs? And I got this telegram long before modern yeah. technology, you know. They said, you're in the hit parade. We've been looking for you for six months. Come back. And then they threw me on stage in a tour of the Rolling Stones. I didn't wow, know what, what was I was doing. Didn't know what the hell I was doing.
0: And the Holly, you toured with the Hollies as well, did you? I yeah,
2: look, name any of the bands of the 60s and, yeah, I, I work with them.
0: And, and what, personally, what, what, what were your favourites to listen to?
2: Ah, to listen to. Well, Roger Whittaker, (laughs) he was more my style. I mean, I I do think that I was a great... I think I helped the Rolling Stones to their success because they would come out with a dynamic act, but I'd be on before them on my own with a guitar, singing, love songs. So I think I helped them realise... They've got the right way to go. <laughs> <laughs> <I'm kidding. laughs> they were so dynamic, nobody wanted to listen to me. You know, everybody's saying we want the stones, we want the snow, so it's great.
0: I, I ask every guest I have on Lunch with Lee what advice they would give to a, a young kid. So I ask you first, Wally, what advice would you give to a, a young tennis player coming through now?
1: Well, there's a lot of pressures on the kids these days with the advent of sort of online gambling. You know, a lot of the players actually get trolled and abused. There's a lot of pressure, a lot of expectation. Seems to be a lot more at stake now, more money. <laughs> you've got to enter the sport for the right reasons. You've got to kind of love the game. And I think you've got to work hard at perceiving yourself and where you stand and being really happy off the court and being well-grounded and well-rounded because if everything in your life is not great, you know, playing tennis and the spotlight and the pressure and various things that can happen, and it's a one-on-one sport, and you lose a lot. Look, Roger Federer has lost over 300 times in his career, and he's a genius. That's, that's a good stat. You know, yeah. I think you've yeah. just yeah, you you got to really work on yourself. You know, be a well-rounded individual. And it's, it's a really it's a really good
0: point because you um you, you often hear someone say, "Oh, that young kid was really really um, really skillful." If only he had the opportunity. They, they never say that young kid was so mentally tough. If only you had some ability <laughs> yeah, on the court, yeah.
1: Yeah, that's that's right. We I just spoke to a friend of mine who's in the states, and he's a very good coach. Over he's an Australian living in the states, Jay Gooding, and he he spent a lot of time on the tour and worked with professional players. and He said, sort of interesting because he's my vintage or a little bit younger, but he said in our day it was more about if you had the ability, you you kind of got there. He said now everybody plays so much, and it's it's like a you know, these factories where you go to an academy and there's so many hours and the development is so accelerated, everyone can play. He said, now it's who's got it between the ears, not just the tactical now, but the to find the right emotional state to play and to have perspective, to be well-rounded. They're the ones that are winning. So he sort of said, it's gone from being having the talent, the athleticism and the drive to now having it between the ears because everybody's... Working to a level where they've got the ability to play, or a lot of people are. You have to be resilient. Who can handle? You have, the have to be, and you have to yeah, be um, exactly. Yeah. You know,
0: if I when I was playing cricket, if I didn't have a good game, I just didn't read the papers. Yeah, no, that's a good <laughs> yeah, idea. You don't want to read anything negative, but uh, with social media these days, it's hard not to. A bit hard to avoid, to avoid that yeah. Sort yeah. Of impact
1: on your yeah. life. Particularly hard these days. Yeah. It's, but I would it's, imagine, it's, Don, you talk about tennis, and one, one of the great things about tennis is there's not a lot of selection process because you get you play a tournament, you get X amount of points. They get fed into a computer, it spits out a ranking. No one can really stop you. And it's one of the beautiful things about the sport. Outside of Davis Cup, there is no or an Olympics, there's no real selection process. The computer generates a ranking and that's key. But I imagine music is very frustrating because, you know, there's so many talented artists out there, but it's almost a bit like being a movie star. You need that break. You know, and that must be frustrating.
2: Oh, you do need a break. There's no question. I I regard myself as unbelievably fortunate that I've still making a living out of writing songs and what I've done. Because on the way, I've seen unbelievable artists just fall by the way. They just haven't had the right song, or they haven't had this break. And it's like actors. There's a lot of famous actors, but there are a lot of actors who could have done that if they'd got that role. And a lot of it is persistence, because that, that's with everything in life. Persistence, wouldn't be, but uh, also you need an element of luck, I think. <laughs> must be a lot of
1: in music, like a sliding doors moment. Dude. Yes, just, definitely. Something good can happen. Um, I, you know, Spotify and various things, and I, I listen to my kids' music, and I'm like, wow, at the moment, you know, there's so much good Australian music, and you think, why, why aren't they killing it around the world? Like, Or maybe they are, I don't know, but it just seems like opportunity's not always there.
0: We talked about this the other week on the show that... Um we sort of believe it's going to be a really big boom of um, creativity, particularly around music. People at home now, through the pandemic, spending a lot of time at home by themselves. I think there's a lot of creation going on, rather right oh, moment. oh, that's true. You know, there's
2: been a big upsurge in the sale of musical instruments, and uh, and a lot of people are doing that, which is great. You know, the music boomers, music boomers, <laughs> baby boomers, music boomers.
0: Uh, Don, what what advice would you give to a young young talented, or, or not, not necessarily talented, but uh, musician?
2: Well, I, I'm, I'm always a little dismayed when I get a lot of people ask me you know, privately about, oh, can you help my daughter? And you meet them and they say, I say, well, what do you want to be? And they say, I, I want to be famous. I go, well, that's not the answer I want to hear. If you say I want to be the best guitar player in the world, I want to be the best singer, then I go, okay, this is what you should do, you know, and without guaranteeing anybody it's going to be a success, but you've got to have that dedication the persistence and you've got to practice 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 just like with tennis just like with anything if you're going to it's practice but i don't discourage them except when they say i want to be famous i said don't that's not the way to go because that isn't it, that that doesn't really mean much uh, but it's it's a tough business from a singing point of view it's kind of disappointing in a way now that they've got things that can tune people people who can't sing and making records because they've got They can tune them up so they sound and then they go on stage and they can't sing. That's what
1: I know. I need one of those. (laughs) What's what's your opinion of, you know, a lot of shows now, you know, like Mm. on TV and uh, even like cooking or music. And it seems like it's a competition. Like, you know, you, you get voted off, you get voted on and various things. I don't know. When I, when I think of music, I don't think of it in those terms. And to me, sometimes I watch those shows and I think they can almost be a bit humiliating.
2: Well, yeah, I don't – actually, I don't watch those shows much mm. at all. Well, I don't watch them much for that reason. <laughs> I think there's an absolute dearth of uh, music shows, genuine music shows, because we know some wonderful artists who don't have any work, never get on television – and they are world-class artists, which I could name them, you'd know. But boy, it's very hard to get a music show on television now with established musicians. It's all about discovering and a, and a story behind the story that they want to tell. But, uh, and uh, the opportunities are not great for music because we've got a very small population. I got pretty lucky because I got my break in England. Even though I was born in Australia, in the country, uh, Australia, we've got a very small population, so it's a tough road. It's a very tough road uh, to make a really good break, so you've got to work like mad.
0: Well, I think, I think both of you have been down a tough road. You're two great Australian ambassadors. You always have been, um, and nice blokes to boot off the, off, the, off the pitch. I want to thank you both for coming on the show. I really appreciate your time. Um, we're going to listen to Don's song now about Kenny Rosewell, and... Um, we're going to have a bite today. We're going to eat. we have a, a, a Brian beer and have a bite today at Leeds for Tuna Court. But I appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Cheers. Pleasure.
2: When I was young, so long ago, I used to love to hear Ken Rosewood play. There wasn't any TV then. I'd listen on the radio. We'd crowd about and we would scream and shout. We'd let our feelings show When Hoden Rosewell won the Davis Cup I heard it on the radio Thank you Kenny Rosewell Thank you for the joy You've given to Australia And this country boy The years went by and I went seas. Then one lovely summer day I queued for hours in the sun To see Ken Rose will play I never will forget that scene I still recall today There I was at Wimbledon To see Ken Rose Thank you, Kenny Rosewell, thank you for the joy you've given to Australia, and this country boy. Through all the years you played the game, win or lose you stayed the same. You played with style and dignity You played the way it's meant to be You play the way it ought to be Twenty years or more went by Then I came home to stay An old friend threw me up one day He said, come around and play When I arrived, he said to me Here's your partner for today I turned around and there he was Kenny Rosewell came to play Thank you, Kenny Rosewell Thank you for the joy you're given to Australia and this country, boy. Thank you, Kenny Rosewell. Thank you for the joy. You're given to Australia and this country, boy. When I was young, so long ago I used to love to hear Ken Rose will play We didn't have the TV then I'd listen on the radio
0: That's it for Lunch with Lee this week. A big thank you goes out to our guests Don Spencer, Wally Masseur. Thanks to Hilton Headley for your hard work behind the scenes and making things happen. And thanks to our sponsors, The Gin Society, Spartan Sports and O'Brien Beer. And a big thank you to Stanley at Lee's Fortuna Court. Make sure you hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. And do us a favour, hit five stars. And if you're passionate, please leave a review. And come check us out on our socials. I'm at Lunch With Lee. Next week, we change some more complete legends to discuss more about music, sport and business on another cracker episode of Lunch With Lee. We'll see you then.